0: Welcome to Entrepreneur's Podcast, that's Entrepreneur's spelled entre like Spanish for between, pre, like our prepubescent sense of humor, and nerds, like the guys around the microphones. Speaking of guys around the microphones, I'm Daniel, the retailer. And I'm Kareem, the realtor. Entrepreneurs is a space to investigate, explore, discuss, and even interview some great examples of entrepreneurs in our area, Central Ohio, and beyond. And today, we talk about purpose. Kareem,
1: this little idea explains why some organizations and some leaders are able to inspire where others aren't. Let me define the terms really quickly. Every single person, every single organization on the planet knows what they do, 100%. Some know how they do it, whether you call it your differentiating value proposition or your proprietary process or your USP, but very, very few people or organizations know why they do what they do. And by why, I don't mean to make a profit. That's a result. It's always a result. By why, I mean what's your purpose, what's your cause, what's your belief? Why does your organization exist? So when we see a kid with a lemonade stand, it's different than when we see a vending machine selling lemonade. All right. That was Simon Sinek. Now, Daniel, you watched Simon last year along with uh, many other inspiring creative thinkers. Um, so he's talking about our topic for this episode, which is the why, the mission behind every successful entrepreneurial venture. hmm So can you tell us a little bit about how it was to hear him speak?
0: Um, Simon is an incredibly dynamic speaker. He sort of has the TED Talk formula down to an art. Uh, I think it has to do with his creative use of story and uh, his ability to effectively pause when needed to make his point. And so most people go up on stage and they use this fancy PowerPoint presentation to draw their audience in. But Simon uses often just a piece of paper and a marker. He draws his points there. The book uh, that I read recently of Simon's was called Leaders Eat Last. It's about the power of leadership, and he uses this example of a uh, military... um, army military lieutenant who kept going back and forth into the uh, harm's way uh, to bring back his uh, men and save his men. And that's and he speaks of this moment where the army lieutenant leans in as one of his uh, men is taken away in an army medic helicopter amongst fire in Afghanistan. And he leans in and kisses the head of his brother-in-arms. And what Simon's saying is you have this guy who's willing to sort of lay out and put a target on his back, basically a flare, you know, an orange flag telling the helicopter where to leave and be a target for the enemy fire. Uh, but he's willing to sort of take this on because he believes in that bigger sense of leadership, that bigger sense of this family he's created or that purpose. And so ultimately, a lot of what Simon talks about is purpose, what brings people together in an organization, what galvanizes people. And you know, I've been thinking about this a lot. One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is that typically the least paid person in any organization is the person that comes in contact with customers first. And so if you intend to have a purpose that communicates with the customers you've got to find a way to motivate the person who makes the least amount of money the person with the least amount of skin in the game motivate them to identify with a purpose that they can help the customer experience how do you do that exactly and you know one of the guys who spent a lot of time trying to explain this is a guy named roy spence He's the author of It's Not What You Sell, It's What You Stand For. And he uh, explains purpose as different from a mission statement or a vision statement. He He says that purpose is why you exist as a company. Mission is how you get it done, like a military mission might be how you get it done. And the vision is how you see the world when fulfilling your purpose. So examples of purpose might be, Dollar General saying, saving time and money every day. Southwest Airlines saying, it gives people the freedom to fly. The Container Store saying, organization with heart. Or even Victoria's Secret saying, every woman should feel like an angel. And so if you take this archetype, this idea, every training along the way, from the way you tell people how you count money at the end of the night to the way they mop the floor to the way they greet the customer that walks in at 9 AM or 10 AM on a Monday, the training that's involved has to have that purpose woven throughout it. So each moment it triggers that purpose when they see the customer walk in, when they're sweeping the floor for the nth, time, they think about that purpose. Why am I making this floor clean? Because every woman deserves to feel like an angel. And so her floor should be clean. Why am I a- asking her about the way she lives her life? Because I want to make sure that every time she thinks about going out in public, she thinks about how she wants to feel and then puts on a Victoria's Secret bra. That's what you mean by connecting purpose to everything you do. Can you think of an example of a company that you admire that feels like they connect purpose to what they do?
1: Well, we already mentioned the container store. I think um, another huge one that is very similar when it comes to conscious capitalism as well is uh, Whole Foods Market. Now, it's really important to have everyone on the same page when it comes to the mission, when it comes to the why. But how do you find the right team? How do you make the right team? Because it's really easy to, to interview someone who just tells you what you want to hear and the work sort of says a different story.
0: Yeah, you mentioned conscious capitalism. So for people that don't know what that is, if you can go and check it out dot consciouscapitalism.org. But it's the idea that um, every stakeholder in the business from customers to employees, to shareholders, to owners, to management, even to vendors and competitors, everyone has a stake in your business and how you support that with every decision you make. And so you have conscious businesses that lead to conscious leaders and conscious leaders understand how every decision affects their wake in the business and affects that power in the business. So
1: tell me a bit about wake. Well... Uh,
0: Kip Tindall, who's the CEO and founder of The Container Store, likes to call, uh, he likes to say wake like a boat's wake. So when you are a boat and you're going through the water, you create these ripples and sort of where the ripples go, sort of whether it's what you do or what you don't do, that's your wake. If you're just standing still in the water, not going anywhere, obviously the ocean will not be affected by your presence and neither will your peers. However, if you are speeding through with lots of power and energy, you are going to cause everyone around you to feel that wake and to be affected by it.
1: So how do you cast the biggest wave or how do you make the, the largest ripple in your company?
0: Well, I think a lot of that depends on how you affect the purpose and how you communicate it. I think one of the things that I've talked to a lot of companies about is that so many companies know how to teach people to sell. They say, you have to say this and say this and say this and close the sale and then ta-da, you've sold two more cars or whatever it is. But ultimately, what's really important and what's going to make a loyal customer and loyal employees is if they believe that they're attached to something bigger, one of the the biggest generation of our lifetime is no longer baby boomers. The biggest generation of our lifetime are millennials. And a lot of people think millennials are just gonna skip around from job to job based on how much money they make. But ultimately, what studies have shown and what conversations and surveys have shown is that it's not about the amount of money they're making or the stock in the company or the signing bonuses that are keeping millennials there, but what's keeping them there Is the purpose. If they believe there's something behind the brand that's driving them forward, they're gonna stick with it. If they believe in the mission. But if they feel like they're part of some huge conglomerate where nothing they do matters, they're gonna leave until somebody else gives them sort of a vision of what it's gonna be. You know, if somebody told me, hey, listen, I'm gonna pay you to figure out how to sell a lot of razors. I would have thought, that's crazy. I don't feel passionate about razors. But then if somebody told me the whole story of Harry's, like we talked about in episode one, about how you know Harry's came about with finding the best blade in the world and this idea of the best shave in the world and all the design that went into it and the beauty and the uh, architecture of the website, everything that goes into it, all of a sudden I'm feeling this energy behind it that's a whole different thing than just this commodity of razors. So I think for me... When you think about uh, how do you communicate the purpose, the biggest key is defining it. Roy Spence uses this example of how he used to ask CEOs and say, hey, what's the purpose of your business? And the CEO of the company would have to pull out their business card because it was printed on the back of it and they couldn't remember. If your CEO can't articulate your purpose in a few words, then you need a new CEO. Or a new purpose. (laughs) You know, I think that uh, one of the one of the important parts of a purpose is to be audacious, to believe you are greater than just the mission of making money. And so, when you think of Whole Foods, they say things like they're trying to create a healthier world. That sounds crazy. It's a grocery store. Mm -hmm. What does that mean, healthier world? And then you dig into the decisions that they make in terms of sourcing produce locally, creating health benefits that are based on your health. So people that work at Whole Foods can get a better discount on produce the healthier they make themselves.
1: Oh, yes, that's totally true. I worked at Whole Foods uh, for for a little bit, gave it a try, uh, along with the container store. It's. It was one of those things that really stood out, and before being introduced or exposed to it, I had not even heard about such an incentive, which is, it's so simple. Yet, it's not very common.
0: And it was like, if you quit smoking, you get never extra 10% off your groceries. Because if you do something healthier for you, we're going to do something healthier for you, too. I think it's a really great idea. But then they started creating this idea of health clinics and nutrition clinics that they're offering their customers and their employees and everything's being a part of it. That's how you find a way to connect your purpose to what the people are doing at the ground level. So... Even if you're a, a, a restaurant and you sell wood-fired pizzas, you can find a way to communicate your, your purpose. I want to give you an example of a company that uh, completely failed. And I went to a restaurant last night in Westerville. I won't name it. It's a brand-new restaurant that's in an old theater right on State Street in Westerville.
1: Okay, so I'm just going to Google Westerville <laughs> pizza.
0: And it's not pizza. Okay. It's uh, an old theater in Westerville. Really cool atmosphere. They're showing uh, film videos on the wall, like Three Stooges, hmm. sort of showing it on the wall.
1: You know, uh, Late Night Slice does that sometimes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Down in Short North. This place, it kind of goes with the atmosphere because it used to be a theater, right? Where the theater movie screen was is where the kitchen is. So it's an open kitchen. You kind of see what's going on. And I went there last night. I went there with um, a salon owner, with a uh, large restaurant owner a art studio owner, a um, defense contractor, and a registered nurse practitioner. Okay, Okay,
1: So it was mostly entrepreneurs.
0: Right. And I'm sitting there in this space in the center of the restaurant and so many things went wrong. We ordered our drinks and our food and our appetizers. The appetizers came out before the drinks did. The drinks showed up One of the drinks was wrong. All the appetizers were eaten and the plates were just sitting on the table for minutes and minutes and minutes. And finally, uh, another uh, drink came and then a drink disappeared and then somebody was moving something else. And one of the people at the table said, don't take that drink. And the guy said, are you talking to me right now? The waiter all of a sudden copped an attitude to... A guest of his who was saying, are you taking away that drink? Why are you moving that drink off the table? We've been waiting forever for these drinks. And then here's what's crazy. At the point that we felt it was absolutely ridiculous in terms of our level of service being so poor and nobody bussing the table. There were three bussers in the corner polishing glassware, which they had plenty already polished and not cleaning any plates. The manager comes over to apologize for his service and the guy who... Was like, are you talking to me? Comes up behind the woman who had said it and is pouring her water while the manager's standing there and says, you got something to say to me now? Thinking the manager would protect him and not the guest. And she goes, are you kidding me? All of a sudden, there was like a literal vocal scene out being played out in the middle of this restaurant. And the manager's watching it, completely helpless to it. I'm sitting behind it and I can't believe what I'm hearing, not from my friend, but from the server who I've worked in the service industry my entire life. What you say in that is that I'm so sorry. Clearly, there's a misunderstanding. Can you tell me what you needed me to do? Because I feel confused. Instead, what he said was, are you talking to me (laughs) and not talking to me now? And all of a sudden got very uh, animated. And ultimately, at the end of the night, you know, we got our food and the food was on point. The food was delicious. We're talking, and by the way, in terms of service level, the special, which three people at the table ordered, was a $42 12 ounce New York strip. Okay. So three out of eight people ordered the $42 most expensive thing on the menu. Mm -hmm. And we were getting served as if we were in a restaurant that wasn't supposed to have table service. We had to go and grab our own bottle of wine because it was sitting on the, on the bar so long that they hadn't served it yet, that we just walked up and grabbed it. And so ultimately, when the manager came up, I said to him, whatever you have to do to talk to your staff, that's up to you. I understand your your role as a manager. I said, but the key you have to communicate is whatever your purpose as an organization is, because currently they don't even believe their purpose is to serve, which is It is. And as a server, they should be the ones commanding the work ethic of the bussers. They should be saying, that table over there needs bust. Go over there and make sure that they have their plates. Can you help me out with the drinks? Whatever those things are. But instead, they were completely oblivious as to the needs of their customers. And so ultimately, this place that had fantastic food, which was close to worth the money, had horrible service. The manager gave each of us a $25 gift card and took off 25% of the bill. Definitely generous for what we had. However, nobody's going to go use those gift cards because of how terrible the service was. Why would you go back? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And when you look at an organization like that, and then you go next door to this brand new place that I will name called Asterisk, Mm Mm-hmm. You walk in, the whole place looks like a library. It looks like some study in somebody's really cool mansion. They serve the uh, menus and the inside of the binding of a book. And there's books all around you. The menu has all this great food on it, really creative stuff, satisfying stuff, and terrific drinks. The dessert menu was not that great. But the service, the guy that helped us, his name was Bismarck. He did, his father lived in Germany for a time, and he named him after Otto van Bismarck, he told us. But the service level from him and from the staff there and the ambiance and the food, everything matched. And you immediately got a contrast in one evening, the difference between an organization living its purpose and an organization that didn't even know what its purpose was. And so I think that gives you that idea of what the difference is in a very small sort of microcosm of one industry.
1: See on the other hand we went out last night to a chain for dinner and the server was just so sweet the the place wasn't that great it was our third choice cuz everything else was closed but you know we ended up having a great time And that really just goes to show that it doesn't matter if you're going to a high-end restaurant or, or a cheap place or where you're going. We all, deep down, have the same expectations. We go out because we want that experience. We want to be waited on and served and, you know, just have a great time. And there's places like the one we're not naming that it's new. It created a buzz people are really curious. They think this is what is this cool place I want to go. This is the the next, you know, hot spot in Columbus. But you go in there and you just have a shitty time. And like in our time right now, people don't talk that much about great experiences, but they will tell everyone about the poor ones.
0: Absolutely. And this in is, fact, research has shown that typically you tell for every one person you would tell about a good experience, you tell 10 people about a bad experience. And I've had that experience myself where I had a really bad experience with my home warranty and went online. I went to LinkedIn and talked to the CEO of my home warranty on LinkedIn and immediately got an answer satisfied, took down all my bad reviews (laughs) because I felt like I was getting service. But you're right. If you have a bad experience, more people will find out about that much faster. And there's a way to mitigate those challenges in a proper way. Or in a in a poor way, and so you you have things like uh, Chipotle when they had this big scare of was it E. coli or something like that, and all of a sudden everybody in the world got a free Chipotle, mm-hmm. and here we are a month later and all we're talking about is chorizo at Chipotle and not talking about the E. coli in the lettuce, <laughs> but this is an important thing to notice. Like if there's a way to do it correctly, and sometimes it costs a little bit more money. What was it, a year ago uh, when Jenny's was having trouble with Listeria? Nobody caught Listeria from them. It was just their own inspections found Listeria. So they thought, let's shut everything down and fix it and get it figured out, right? And the first thing they did was set up a blog, immediately communicate to the community and say, listen, we're shutting down pint production because of this. This is who we're working with because of this. This is what we found and this is how we're fixing it. Please be patient with us and let us come back stronger and better Because you're the most important part to our brand. And that showed me how to do it right, how to handle a crisis that could have crushed a small business and to do it right. So I think that Jenny's is a great local example of how to fix something correctly by over-communicating and being completely transparent. And in these times, when everything and the media cycle is 24-7 and everything's moving
1: a mile a minute, transparency is the only currency. I agree. Another example popped into my head and you know okay you know what I'm not going to mention the name because I don't want it to seem like we're just you know putting all these businesses on blast but um, you might remember a certain restaurant that was a recommendation of yours and you know it was really highly reviewed and my girlfriend and I went out there for uh, I think brunch or something and it was really cool on Columbus's south side and cute atmosphere Cool menu, the worst service. Now let me tell you, this place now, about I think it's about a year later, it's closed. And they still have a food truck. So that brings us back to our main topic of really like how do you find the right people? Because you know what? You can spend all the time in the world planning out your business and really committing and and making sure that you're you have everything in order and you're trying to be the best you can, but then you hire people who don't care about it, hire people who aren't invested in it, and you're just wasting your time. Unless you want to be there and micromanage every single transaction, which is not going to – it's a proven recipe for you know a high turnover rate. So back to our original thought of how do you find those people. Now, I've noticed that in a lot of the the – are kind of top-reviewed small businesses in Columbus, a lot of their staff is younger.
0: Yeah, and some of that is due to people being connected to the purpose and the energy behind it and willing to take less money. I mean, I've been, I've known enough people that have worked for these organizations that know that they can't pay what these bigger retailers are paying, but sometimes you sacrifice somebody's passion for their experience in those examples. I I think that the biggest thing in finding the right people, the biggest ingredient to it is patience. Just because you have a need doesn't mean you should fill it right away. Then the second component is risk. So many companies have the right people right underneath their noses and they're not willing to take the risk on them because the challenges and weaknesses that that person might have are known risks versus somebody who interviews really well and you can't see any weaknesses in them because you don't know them yet. I'm a huge proponent of accepting the known risk and trading that with the higher level of commitment with somebody that's already a part of your business and already a part of your brand. An example that isn't somebody that was a part of my brand, when I worked for Victoria's Secret, one of the things that I was looking for was trying to find people that would be bra specialists. Now, to be a bra specialist, you have to really love it because you spend a lot of time in the fitting room with customers trying to find the right bra, whether it's you know a 30-year-old uh, mother who's come in and just became a mom and is now no longer nursing and needs a new bra, or it's a 14-year-old and it's the first time and her mother brought her in to get sized for her first bra. So you have this a moment of connection that could last the rest of this person's life. It's very important to find the right person. I had a phone call with an employee, and let's call her Nikki. Nikki, and I was, I was talking to her about what she did before. She didn't have any experience. She literally worked at a daylily farm, she worked at some place in Cincinnati called like Valley of the Daylilies, which I thought, what did you do there? <laughs> and she said that she basically talked to people about their daylily needs and satisfied all their daylily challenges. But ultimately I said, why do you want to work for Pink? Why do you want to work for Victoria's Secret? And she was the first person I talked to in over 150 phone calls that said to me, I want to work for Pink because I love pink bras. I love the bras. I love wearing them. I love my bra fitting experience. And so immediately I knew she didn't have the experience, but she had the passion. So I talked to my team. I had her interview with bra specialists, the other managers, everybody who would have been, she'd been reporting to. And ultimately they were all willing to take a risk on somebody who didn't have the experience, but had the passion for the product. And I think that that's key. You could find somebody that spent 25 years at Nordstrom selling bras. But if she doesn't give a crap about it anymore, she's not going to want to sell them at your store either. So once you find somebody with that passion, you can really create something. And if you find people that are already in your business with that passion, give them enough leash, enough leeway to make a difference, to prove to you that they can do the job and if they don't, they don't. But let the experiment happen, or else you're not going to get anybody that is buy into the business.
1: That's so true. All right. So let's say you out there listening, you're thinking about starting your own venture, and you're curious what your why is. Now, the why, from my understanding, or you know, the purpose, it's got to be something that's strong enough that you're willing to do for free. Something that you believe enough you love you're passionate about that if everything else was equal you would be okay with doing this without a return
0: give us an example
1: let's talk let's go back to uh role let's say um i'm i'm blanking out on the stewart on stewart's name there but if you're just some you're someone who loves bikes. You grew up with bikes, you know bikes. You can put bikes together, take them apart. You can draw one off of memory. It's in your blood. Now, there's no way that I would believe that he didn't start this business while being extremely pessimistic and knowing all the worst scenarios and accepting that if they might happen and already he's already prepared to move on. You're already invested so much in this that it doesn't matter what other people say it doesn't matter what negative outcomes you, you could face you're already prepared for it and I think that it's really hard to find your your purpose it's really hard to make it simple it has to be so um, you said it's important for your purpose to be audacious I think it's also important to be authentic there's so many examples of bad purposes, bad mission statements. There are hundreds of uber successful companies and businesses out there that you can walk into today and ask one of the employees, one of the managers, someone who is somewhat responsible, you know, what's what's your mission statement? What is it? And they don't know. You don't even know it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've Certainly worked for companies that i I wasn't even exposed to that mission statement, so why do you think that is something that is has fallen behind uh recently and it's it's certainly starting to appear more in the forefront when it comes to small businesses, especially here in Columbus, which is you know a huge reason why we start we decided to start this podcast for you guys, but what do you think it is about just being honest and clear and communicating that to your all your stakeholders, why is everyone falling behind on that?
0: Because it's not easy. Because it's not easy to articulate all of it. You know, I have a, a great relationship with a number of people at Homage, and I know that you have this company that's obsessed with vintage, that is obsessed with this... Uh, connection that people make to each other from events or from terms or from experiences whether it's Cleveland's bottlegate or LeBron finally uh, winning in Cleveland and bringing a championship there and how they connect with those t-shirts but when it comes to articulating your purpose to the lowest common denominator and not because I'm saying that the person who at the front door is the lowest person on the totem pole uh, meaning that they, are the lowest value. It's the person who has the least reason. The least skin in the game. in it. Right. Yeah, sure. Is there a way to communicate that to that person and remind them every day in their interaction why they joined that company? What brought them to it? And I think that because it's so difficult, so many people just skip it. Just say, well, this company got big without talking about that. Or they've been able to do this this way. We'll just copy them. But... If you lose that soul of a business, you lose everything. Now, think about Sears. I mean, do you shop at Sears for clothes? Do you know that Sears sells lots and lots of clothes? And I mean by sell, I mean they put it on their sales floor. <laughs> I was there the other day. The other day to buy a rip cord for my lawnmower,
1: hmm.
0: a starting cord. The people that were there were actually pretty helpful. I walked through the housewares department through the clothing department, through all this other stuff, saying, what is this whole place, this department store that nobody goes to anymore? It was a ghost town. People were in the tool department and the mattress department. If I was Sears, I would reconnect your purpose to those two departments and eliminate everything else. Why are you selling clothes, Sears? Nobody's buying any. And everything that was on the racks was 75% off. The people who work in those departments aren't connected to your purpose in a way that's selling anything. And your customers felt that. They've felt it for the last 20 years. That's why the department store as a whole is dying. And you have Macy's trying to reinvent themselves. We're so lucky to be here in Columbus at Easton. They just redesigned the entire Macy's. Walk through that store. There's a juice bar in there now. There's a juice bar and a health center and a lifestyle section of it. They're trying to find a way to redefine their purpose. But when you talk to the employees about it and you say, tell me about the redesign, they say, I don't know. It seems like they're just sort of throwing something on the wall to see what sticks. That's literally what one of the employees told me. Clearly, he's not invested in the purpose of this business. (laughs)
1: Well, let's don't get me started about Macy's. Um, but <laughs> here's the thing. If you have a store where every day I go on your website and it says, "Hurry, one day only, 20% off of everything." Eventually, anyone who's paying attention is going to realize that everything in there that's not that like you're advertised the regular price isn't actually what you ever charge anyone for. So, it it turns into a discount store. So you're saying their authenticity is hindered. And that shows when it comes to your employees, you can you you mentioned that you had a good experience with one of the employees at Sears. That employee is probably there, but if they were offered an oppor- a similar opportunity in a better workplace, they're going to take that in a heartbeat. Well, and this is the thing. He came good up People to me. don't stay. Well, And some of the best
0: ways to find the best talent is people that are already have a job. People that are already employed are much more employable often. One of the interesting things about the guy who talked to me was he said, "Uh, is there something I can find you? Which is a very generic, lame retail question. But at the time I really needed help. I said, well, I'm looking for a starter cord for my lawnmower. It's a craftsman lawnmower whatever. And he said, you know what, I don't know the answer to that, but I know who does. And he went and found somebody that knew the answer to it and brought him over. Now, obviously, this guy didn't have enough payroll to train everybody on everything he knew, but he knew enough to train his people that if you don't know the answer, come and find me and we're going to solve this for the customer together. That was worth the trip to Sears for me to buy you know, an $11 part for my lawnmower. But I think that ultimately, when you talk about purpose and what it goes back to is that if you don't feel connected to it as an entrepreneur, then your salespeople will also not feel connected to it. And so, whether it's, you know, Hot Chicken Takeover and their social model where they have hired second chance employees to staff and get experience and become really successful contributors to the economy, or your Tom's Shoes, which a lot of people look to as this sort of model of the one-for-one model, buy a pair and give a pair. And you have this idea where if you find a way for people to associate themselves with that greater sort of social construct behind it, it doesn't have to be giving a pair of shoes to everybody. It doesn't have to be hiring second-chance employees. It can just be saying that what we do matters. And I think that's a really important thing to get across to your employees. When I was uh, a manager of another retail store, I used to say to people, what we're doing matters. The people that come in the building, they're not here randomly. Nobody fights for space at Easton, at the mall, finds a parking space, walks through an inch and a half of snow, comes through our threshold, and grabs a shopping cart because they're just browsing.
1: Well, some people are waiting on a reservation, but...
0: (laughs) Right, they might be waiting on the restaurant next door, but... (laughs) Ultimately, most people have a reason why they're in a space. I don't go out of my house unless I have a reason where I'm going. And so w- when somebody says, I'm just browsing or, oh, I'm just fine, you haven't connected them with them in the correct way. So you've got to get across that they are important. What I do in my consulting and when I'm managing, when I'm training people, I try to get across that whether you're an employee or you're a manager teaching a team or you are an employee helping a customer, all anybody really wants is to feel important. The reason why at the container store we walked around with notepads and wrote down what people said is because nowhere else in our customer's day would somebody walk somewhere and say something and somebody write it down. They're not going to Target and having somebody say, oh, you needed to have slices of cheese and paper towels and they're writing it down? That's not happening. They're not going to the uh, car dealership and the car dealer going, okay, so you're looking for a two-door. Let me write that down. Two doors and you want four cylinders or was that six? Nobody's writing that down. They just go, you like the shiny red one or the black one? (laughs) And oftentimes you know more about the car than the person who's selling it to you. The, The little things you do as a business owner that makes you different is going to make the customer feel important. I'll give you an example. I went over to Cat's Tires on Livingston. There's a Cat's Tires on Main Street downtown, but there's uh, also a Cat's Tires that just opened on Livingston. I go to Cat's because my dad went to Cat's. And so I always go to Cat's Tires. I go to Cat's. I say, listen, my uh, tire seems to be losing air or it keeps clicking. And he goes, well, that's because that big nail sitting in it. He takes the nail out, plugs it, charges me whatever it was, like $13. And I left, but the whole time he showed me where it was, how he was pulling it out, how he was plugging it in case I needed to plug it in the future myself so he didn't have to waste his time. Doing you it. learned something. Yeah, he he taught me a lesson on how to fix a, a plug or f- a fix a hole in a tire, but he also, despite being somebody who works in a, uh, quote, Unquote poor service industry, which is the auto mechanic industry. People think of guys that run tire shops as a gritty, awful guys. But the people that Cats hired care about their customers and know that it's all about the neighborhood you're in and servicing all of those people in a way that makes them feel important. So ultimately, whatever you do, whether it's for your employees or for your customers. Figure out your motivation for everything you do with them. is how to make them feel important. I'll tell you an example from the missing piece we talked about in the last episode. Jane Grady Abel took a HR class and got an HR certification, okay? She says there's a difference between being an HR professional and being a people professional. The difference is as an HR professional, when one of your employees dies, the first thing you think of is do they have a life insurance policy and Uh, Who am I going to get to hire that person that's one less person? But when you're a people person, like Jane Grody Abel, and somebody dies in a car accident, the first person that finds out calls you and says, Jane, I think you would need to know this. And the police asked me if you could come and identify the body. She went and identified a 24-year-old child, basically, that had died in a car accident because the family wasn't notified right away. They wanted somebody to identify before they notified the family. Ultimately, Jane decided not to go with the police to, to talk to the family because they needed that private time of grief, probably. But that's the difference between somebody who cares deeply about the people who work for them and somebody who just cares deeply about making sure the paychecks go to the right bank accounts.
1: Well, and I really like the example of hiring second chance employees with Joe DeLoss, hot chicken takeover. That seems like such a direct and obvious and easy and even admirable way to, to right away you're telling your employees that I believe in you. I believe in you. I I know, you, know you, you made mistakes. We all make mistakes, but I'm willing to give you a chance and I'm willing to give you a you can take a stake in this business with me. And I mean, what I, I don't know. I'm not finding any numbers on his turnover, but I, I can't imagine it would, it would be a high percentage.
0: No, it's a pretty low percentage, mostly because the people that work there care so much about their jobs and care so much about the business that Joe's helped create with them that they shape each other up. There's lots of peer management, right? If you don't act Accountability. right... Accountability. Right. If you don't act right, I'm going to help you act right. It's kind of how it goes. One of the interesting uh, things that came across during a Startup Columbus uh, panel that I saw Joe on, he was there with a couple of his employees that have uh, risen in ranks throughout uh, the past couple of years that he's been around. And one of the questions that came from the audience was, would you hire somebody that was convicted of murder? And what he said was, There's definitely a list internally that we have of convictions of which we really will not hire for, you know, people that come down to their like sociopath kind of behavior. He said, but I will tell you, honestly, murder isn't on that list. And he said, it's not because we think that we should hire murderers, but it's because if You can imagine growing up in a different part of the city, and you can imagine having different friends, and you can imagine being motivated by different circumstances, and feeling like you have to protect yourself, and being in a scenario that gets out of hand. Sometimes accidents happen, and sometimes you do your time for them, and you should be given a second chance still. And I thought that was a very beautiful answer on
1: Joe's part. And that's definitely an example of a business living its purpose. So thank you so much, guys. I've been Kareem, the realtor. And I'm Daniel, the retailer. And this was another episode of Entrepreneurs. Check us out on social media,
0: Entrepreneurs
1: Podcast, which is
0: on Instagram, at EntrepreneursPC on Twitter. And check us out on metigraphy.com or just Entrepreneurs Podcast, And you can find our subscription link at the bottom of the page. Please
1: subscribe. And thanks again.